When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the BPD Bunch. We have a panel of people who are in functional recovery from borderline personality disorder. And each week, a few of us get together to discuss the ups and downs of our BPD journeys to give you hope and direction for your own. I'm your host, Sani, and today I am here with Alex, Lena, Selene, Darren, and Jess. Today, we're going to talk about ADHD and BPD. So, Let's go around and say where in the world you're coming from and give us a quick preview of your top ADHD tip that you're going to be talking about in the episode today. I'm coming from New York City today, and my top tip is definitely to be compassionate to yourself, always. I'm coming from Minas Gerais, Brazil, and my tip today is something called behavior momentum. I'm joining from London, UK, and my top tip is spot the patterns. I'm coming from London, and my tip is uh, communication and learn to take responsibility. I'm coming from Osoyoos in British Columbia, Canada, and my tip is to work on building relationships of mutual support. And I'm coming from New Mexico, and my tip is going to be about creating urgency. So today, we're going to be talking about ADHD and BPD. So people with ADHD are actually about 20 times more likely to have BPD as well than people who don't have ADHD. So it's just really interesting that it's very highly co-occurring. Who got their ADHD diagnosis first? I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was nine. I think mine were very close. I think I got BPD when I was 15 and ADHD when I was 17. But I had signs of it way earlier. And I'm going to, I brought, I have a book. So this is my fourth grade teacher wrote this about me. Keeping herself tuned in and focused can be a problem for Zanny. At times, her attention drifts away. She often does not attend to oral directions and then does not know what to do. I see this same trait making it hard for her to keep track of her supplies and to clean up or switch activities in a timely fashion. Wow. I, I'm like, is that textbook or what? It's incredible how these things don't get picked up. Like I remember, um, so I was diagnosed with BP at 32 and uh, ADHD just a couple of months ago at 34. Yeah, well, how old am I? 35 now? Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, and I remember my mom when I, I was about 10 and she took me to the doctor and I, I can't even remember for what, but he was asking lots of questions and he was like, is, is your daughter a bit hyperactive? And my mom was like, yeah and I thought I had something like really really serious like I didn't know you know but there was no diagnosis like it went nowhere you know beyond that question and beyond me taking away the fact that 
I was hyperactive and it was probably something really, really bad. It's interesting you you had that reaction just to like him asking if you're hyperactive because when I got my diagnosis and when you're a child and they're like, you have a disorder. I remember like leaving the doctor and crying like the whole way home and my parents were trying to like tell me all the famous people who have ADHD and like make me feel better. But I felt like something was so wrong with me. I, I think it's, it's a geographic thing as well. I would say that in the UK, so to go to school over here, ADHD was associated with problem children as in they're badly behaved in the classroom rather than actually looking at any root cause of that. And also that ADHD was a, an American problem that was dealt with with Ritalin or something like that. You know, it was very much non-UK, you know, for some reason, UK kids don't have it. But it clearly was. Um, and I think that's why we're seeing a, a current sort of, um, it's almost like a massive um, diagnosis amongst adults in the UK. I have inattentive ADHD and not hyperactive. So I think that's even more so why it was missed because I just wouldn't pay attention, but I was also like a gifted kid. So I could like not pay attention and then do fine in school. So they were like, she's fine. you know. Yeah. And it wasn't till I was an adult in grad school. And I was like, I cannot pay attention at all. What is wrong with me? Right. And that's when I sought it out myself. I'm also more inattentive. Like I'm not hyperactive at all. I'm 32 now. I got my BPD diagnosis at 27 and then my ADHD diagnosis at 30. And, you know, after finishing school, I had already noticed symptoms in my social life. And then when I started working, I started noticing like really exacerbated symptoms. And it also wasn't until I had my BPD under control that I was actually able to be like, oh, okay, there's still like all of these lingering focus issues. My memory sucks. I'm daydreaming all of the time. I can't keep up in conversations half the time. I also want to say something that my therapist told me because I think like we, we relate ADHD to like kids being bad in school. And she told me for a lot of people with inattentive ADHD, school is actually where a lot of people thrived. And then it's like afterwards where that might change. Because when you're a kid in school, there are so many external factors that force you to be into a routine. That routine and structure kept my life together. And then now I'm in a very flexible job. And I can, like, I struggle so, 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 so much without forced external um, motivators. Yeah. It's like the, the gifted kid to burnt out uh, disorganized adult pipeline. It's really yep. common. I work with a lot of adults like that. Well, it's interesting because I have both, like I have the both hyperactive and inattentive. So like yeah, people used to relate me to the Energizer Bunny because I'd always be like kind of bouncing off the walls. But for whatever reason, I was good enough with pattern recognition that I got decent grades. And so, especially at the time, I think Darren brought this up the whole like, oh, it's a school thing. They do badly in school. Right. And so that was sort of used as proof of why this can't be your problem. You know, and it was like, and yet, but I still struggle with certain hygiene things today because yeah, it's like, unless somebody tells me to do it, I, it just, some things for whatever reason, I cannot get them to be routine. Definitely yeah. like you, Jess, once the BPD symptoms started to go down, I thought, oh, there's some other things. Yeah. I think this is interesting to talk about with BPD in particular, because I find a lot of people in the ADHD community the neurodivergent community in general, talk about pattern recognition as like, 
I'm really good at recognizing patterns in the natural environment, in, you know, whatever school environment, and also with people. I, I want to talk about that because I think that that is something that we can get kind of caught up in because I hear a lot of people say like, oh, I'm good at pattern recognition, so I can tell what someone's thinking or feeling based on my previous experiences with someone in this similar context, right? And I think it's not what you're talking about, but I'm just kind of expanding on it because I think it's something that comes up a lot. Um, Because I think it can be really dangerous for those of us who also have BPD because I'm already on the lookout for like certain patterns in people. I'm already going to like assume what people are thinking or feeling or doing or how they feel towards me or whatever. Um, And I don't, we don't always know, right? We can be good at pattern recognition, but you know, even sometimes we can't recognize the pattern. What you're describing is something called hypermentalizing and basically mentalizing is the ability to understand what's going on in someone else's mind, Uh, like their thoughts, their motives, their, you know, feelings. And a lot of times with BPD, we're just as good as other people in terms of that and even better than some people in certain situations. But when it's a very an emotional situation, so like interpersonal situations that are really close where there's a risk of rejection or something that we're like a feared outcome might happen, then we lose that ability. And that's, I think, a lot of the time where we lose that. And we assume what other people are thinking or feeling. For me, the sort of when I sort of cottoned onto this, I guess when I'm a lot younger, is that Never once in my life, throughout my entire education life, but also through my working life, I've never been able to revise or prepare until the night before anything. And that goes through degrees, everything. It goes through the work pitches, presentations. It has to be the very last minute. And that's when you get the best results out of me. And for that to have not been picked up at any point in my life up till now is kind of crazy. That's how I've always functioned. That's how I still function. But... A year ago when I was in school um, doing my master's, I had like finished this this paper or whatever it was right before the deadline, like, submitted it like a minute before it was due. And then they like gave an extension. And so I had the opportunity to go back and like revise my work. And this idea that I had developed that like I create the best work under pressure just completely burst. And I was like, oh my gosh, I actually create better work when I create it under pressure, like I get it done, but then I have moments to come back and edit and re-edit and re-edit because I never had the opportunity to do that before. And that realization just burst so much about what I thought about my method of working and my my like capacity and what I was just what I was capable of. So I start I managed that year two more times to finish what I was working on a few days before the deadline for the first time in my life. I finished a few things a few days before the deadline and gave myself time to like come back and edit. And that completely like revolutionized like how I, how I school. (laughs) I I have this thing though, if I do do something and complete it well before the deadline, I expect a pat on the back for doing it when actually it's quite the norm for people to do that. But I'm like, do you realize what it's taking for me to actually do this early? (laughs) It's hard. I I take a whole day off afterwards. I'm like, yes. Yeah, I'm done. My work here is done. It goes back to what Jess was saying earlier about needing structure. I I absolutely need structure in my life. I have such a hard time when it's I don't have a consistent schedule. I need like I need it. Not only that I struggle with routines because of ADHD, but then the BPD's like, but I need to do this perfectly. And I never I never will be able to have a perfect routine where I do the same thing every day. I think that's one of the biggest things that I've had to kind of 
reconcile my BPD and ADHD is like, I'm just never going to be perfect in any area of my life. I'm never going to do the same thing every day. You know, I work mostly with adults who have ADHD and or BPD. And one of the things that always comes up is exercise, right? Like people are like, I'm going to get a membership to the gym and I'm going to go every day. And I'm just like, I mean this in the nicest way possible, but you're never going to do that. And here's why, right? Because like having a routine like that, it's boring. And then as soon as you miss one day, your BPD is going to be like, all right, I fucked up. I can't do it anymore. I, I screwed up. I might as well just never go again. So like having options, you know, like you don't have to go to the gym to be healthy and exercise. You can do so many different things to exercise. You don't have to do the same thing all the time. It's never going to work. Research shows that the traits that really overlap between BPD and ADHD the most are the impulsivity piece and emotion dysregulation. I want to talk first about emotion dysregulation because in the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which, which all the disorders are listed, there's a list of different symptoms that you can have for ADHD, and it doesn't really say anything about emotion dysregulation, but there's a, an associated features section, which is like not the symptoms that we have listed, but in the section, it talks about mood liability and emotion dysregulation and an increased risk of suicide attempts. And it just shows how much it overlaps. Like with the Marshall Linehan's biosocial theory, we talk about there's like a biological vulnerability being emotional sensitivity. Or I think that having ADHD fits in perfectly with the biosocial theory in that way. It's the idea of being emotionally dysregulated and not having sufficient self-control to handle emotions and being more emotionally sensitive and then chronically being invalidated and feeling different and wrong and being told like you're not doing things the right way your whole life. One of the things that I was just talking about was the the overlap of the impulsivity and I think that's one of the things that's been a big challenge for me is that the, that sometimes the impulsivity comes as a result of what I would consider more BPD related, where it's sort of like an emotional response yeah. to something stressful. But then there are other times where I'm just struck by an idea and I'm like, I need to do this right now. And so I think that's been sort of a long challenge for me of trying to differentiate between what is just me jumping on a spontaneous idea versus this is something that's impulsive as a way to get me out of a situation I don't like or leads me into some sort of self-damaging behavior because at least as it's listed as a criteria that impulsivity in BPD is leads to some sort of self-damaging behavior. The difference between impulsivity and ADHD and BPD is with ADHD it's something called trait impulsivity. It's like more impulsive a lot of the time. And also the impulsivity is often what you would call like motor impulsivity, like having a hard time stopping responses as they're happening. So it's like a lot of us overshare. We have word vomit and then we're like, oh my God, no, we're saying this, but we're still doing it. We can't stop ourselves in the moment. And then with BPD, it's more state-like, meaning like in specific moments and it's usually stress-induced. So when you're having a really difficult time, then that impulsivity comes out and it becomes more self-damaging because it's more emotional rather than like an all the time thing. But people who have both ADHD and BPD tend to have even more impulsivity problems. And if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. So if you're engaging in self-destructive behaviors and you're like unable to stop yourself, so you're already in an emotional state, but your brain is has a harder time putting the brakes. So 
it becomes a lot harder having both ADHD and BPD because you don't have as much of an ability to stop yourself when you're going to do something that's really self-damaging. Interpersonally, it can be a big thing too. Like I leave something out, right? Because I have this thing where if I, I'm doing something, I'm no longer interested in the project, I forget to clean it up. I'm like, oh, there's this other thing. I'm going to go to this other thing. And then there's this big mess. And then often somebody else has to see that or deal with it and they say something to me about it. And then because I am very emotionally sensitive and I don't want you know, people to point out the things that I'm not doing right because it hurts my feelings, then, then I have like a big emotional reaction to them pointing out, you know, you left this thing out. I mean, my husband and I got into it once because I kept forgetting to push in the chair of my vanity and he kept tripping over it. And it was just like very difficult because I recognize logically that his upset is totally valid. I keep leaving this thing out. He keeps running into it in the middle of the night and it hurts. And I still was just so crushed that he couldn't see how hard it was for me to just remember to push in this stupid chair. Yeah. I use humor to like deal with things like that. And my friend's will use humor to deal with my things like that. Like, oh, there's Jess being flaky or, oh, there's Jess doing this thing or, oh my God, Jess, you almost got hit by a car, be careful. Like, there's <laughs> Jess being Jess, like it'll, and I find, you know, I'm thinking of like, you're, you're talking, I'm thinking of two specific examples. Um, I was in a relationship for like six years. And then when we broke up, I kept losing my phone and my wallet like weekly. I just kept losing, keep leaving all my, all my shit everywhere. My cards, my phone. Like I literally, I think I lost my phone like five times in one year. And I was, I had to get, start getting like really cheap phones because I just kept losing them. I kept leaving them places when I went out because my ex would like pick up after me. After we got up and left a restaurant, he would check the table and pick all the things up. Right. Like he kind of like took care of my, um, inattention, I guess. He like filled that gap and after we broke up friends started noticing how bad I really was and they had to start stepping in for some of those things until I learned how to do it myself or you know at work my supervisor is very observant and like knows all of the things that he will likely have to remind me of right or like will will know that every once in a while like I'm kind of checked out of the conversation and he'll have to say something to like <laughs> bring me back into it it's like the people around me kind of taking care of me in a certain way it's really nice and to have that support it is it is really nice to have that support last night at dinner I tied my purse to my ankle because I always forget my purse places like I can't put it on the back of a chair at a restaurant like I'll, I'll forget it so last night I just like tied it around my ankle like I was like I would rather stand up and trip on my face than leave my purse <laughs> just have, like you have to hack your life sometimes <laughs> I've done that I think one of the ways too that we haven't really talked about that ADHD and BPD can really show up together is the rejection sensitivity mm-hmm. um you know so both people with ADHD and BPD, especially when you're dealing with both, can be much more sensitive to rejection. And kind of like Alex was talking about earlier, we can um, misread cues because the emotions involved kind of make everything confusing. Um, I know that's something I've dealt with a lot since uh, moving to another country where cultural norms, just the way you communicate everything is so different. And so I am like very quick to assume 
that someone is communicating with me in a certain way because of my own experience when it's really it's some of it sometimes it's a cultural difference and sometimes it's not and it's hard to figure out like what what's happening um but also like the piece where you know with our friends we can sometimes um not do the sort of work to like maintain friendships in the way that like a neurotypical person might where like you know sometimes my other friends who have ADHD will like forget to text every now and then and we'll, we won't talk for a while. And so like, it's really easy for me to interpret that as like, oh, they don't like me, they don't wanna to talk to me anymore. When it's like, they're just ADHD, <laughs> you know? I think it's funny recognizing yeah. your own pattern sometimes too. Like I have a hard time when I feel like people aren't listening to me when I'm talking, but man, do I, like my friends, like Jess, you were saying your friends are like, oh, that's just Jess. Like with me and like zoning out in conversations, it's like, my friends just know, like, I'm not being, I'm not trying to be mean or like not showing interest. I just, I don't know. I see a squirrel or something, you know, like I literally just like, like my mom. Yeah. Or I start thinking about something that someone said and I for, like zone out of everything else that they're saying. And then they're like, did you hear anything I said? And that's why the other person that always gets picked on when someone says, what did I just say? Cause mm. you're the one who looks like you're not paying attention whatsoever. Cause you are either looking out the window or, you know, there's something interesting on the bottom of your shoe. You're the one that or always gets picked up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's, you know, but you are actually being quite attentive. It's just you're off in another world <laughs> in another way as well. But it's so important to recognize those things too, because it's like, then yep. when someone else is, you feel like the rejection sensitive, you feel like someone else is not listening to you. There could be a million other things going on. And just, you know, remembering that we all, we all get distracted sometimes. I can look like I'm paying attention. Like I, I can go, I can go, mm-hmm, yeah, oh yeah. And I can like validate the person while I'm really like daydreaming about something completely different, right? So <laughs> it's, I don't know, there's ways even, to... Even we get to take a couple of the words that they've said yeah. in a sentence, but not know what the actual construction of that sentence was. <laughs> exactly, yeah. The diagnostic criteria is mostly about executive functioning, but most people know it as like this attentiveness thing, right? But like... Really what most of us probably struggle with the most other than like the emotional dysregulation is organizing, planning tasks, completing things in timely manner, like meeting deadlines and stuff. And so, you know, it seemed like a lot of us had uh, a lot of tips on how we deal with that. I'm curious, like, you know, what, what those are. There's a lot of executive functioning tasks, like cleaning has always been a real challenge for me. And I have found a couple of small things that help. Um, like I saw a video online once that suggested chunking, which is like, if you have a bunch of dishes in your sink, it looks like a huge, you know, unmanageable pile. You go in and you pick one type of item, like all your cups, and you clean all the cups first. And then you do you, like all the silverware or all the plates. And that makes it a little bit more manageable. I have found that with things like dishes, that that can be really helpful. But um, my office space, which becomes like a huge mess, that's not really possible because there's so much stuff that I just can't even begin to start. So I often will use manufactured urgency to get things done that I otherwise would not be able to do. Um, so one of those things is I invite people over to my house before my house is clean. 
Like my office, the reason why it's such a mess is that I haven't invited anyone to stay over where I have to use this as a guest room. But I have invited people over for like dinner parties. And so a week in advance, I'll say, all right, everybody, we're having a party on Saturday. And then usually Friday, Saturday morning, I'm frantically cleaning the whole house, but then it gets done. I have never found that just doing it for myself has ever worked. Because I respond to social pressure. I want people to like me. I want people to think that I have a nice, beautiful home. I want people to think that I like do a good job there. Yeah, I think also what you were talking about, Zanny, with the, the chunking things, that's actually what I was going to talk about. It's kind of a type of behavior momentum. So one of the things we can struggle with, I can bring a lot of shame with ADHD, is like, I just, when I have a bunch of things to do, I just, I get into kind of a place of freeze, you know, and this is where I've worked with many clients who um, don't realize that this is a thing with ADHD. Cause again, we associate ADHD with like the stigma is like, we're always constantly moving and doing things, but actually ADHD can also look like laying on the couch and not being able to get up and do anything. Cause I have so much to do. I don't know where to start and all of it seems horrible. And so one of the things I do is like, okay, think about what's going to be the thing that gets me up off the couch to do the thing the things I need to do. Like, let's start there. Like this morning I woke up very tired and I was like, I have to do this episode. I need to eat breakfast and all this stuff, but I don't want to do anything. And I was like, I will get up for coffee. I will always get up for coffee. So let me get up and make myself a cup of coffee and then I'll figure out what to do next. And then it's like, okay, let me make the breakfast. Right. And like do the thing. It's like, I have to kind of walk myself through those things. But the idea is that you're like, you're kind of building yourself up instead of being like, you know, like writing papers, I feel like probably for a lot of us was really challenging. And if I sat down and was like, I'm going to write this paper for school right now, that no. But like, what if I just like read one article for my paper and then I'll like see what happens next? So like the idea is just, yeah, kind of walking yourself through it. I find is super helpful for me. I want to add something to that that I am starting to do because I sit and I don't do anything. I just stress over all the things I have to do. And I have like this like action paralysis for most of the day. And then towards the end of the day, I'm like, okay, here's this thing. Okay, I actually enjoy doing this thing. Let me actually get into it. And then I'm into it for like hours. You know, when I'm hyper focusing on something, I don't stop to take breaks. I don't stop to eat or anything like that because my body cues are just like off. But also I know that if I do stop, I just won't get back to it if I, if I stop, right? I won't be able to like go have dinner and then come back. That's not gonna happen. That's what it's gonna I always be a whole, say, I'm like, I can't stop. Yeah, it's gonna be a I whole other process of, of like sitting there over while I, yeah. There's a difference between the things that I have to do where I'll kind of just like sit and hyper-focus on once I actually get the ball rolling and get them all done. And then there's the things that like I actually enjoy doing and like to do. So I try to like do the stuff I don't like to do earlier in the day where like if I do end up like hyper focusing on something, if I don't stop to take breaks, it's not as big of a deal versus like the stuff that I do enjoy doing that I find more meaningful. I find it easier to like take a break, go eat and come back because I want to get back to doing it. It's exactly the tip that I was going to be sharing about recognizing the patterns. So looking back and looking at what are some of these things that you've enjoyed doing historically, some of the things that you haven't, how much time you spent on different aspects and recognizing those patterns from the past and then trying to build that into some kind of schedule. And I know that if I get up and go to the gym first thing, then I'll have energy 
that will carry me through and it will help my focus as well. So now it's not something I even really think about. I just get up and go and do some exercise and that really helps me and you know it's finding those things I think and recognizing those patterns then I have this excel spreadsheet where I put the tasks and the rough estimates like one hour two hours whatever and then the satisfaction of turning them green <laughs> that is the motivation to That's actually great. get them done yeah and sometimes I have to even detail them to like even shorter like okay, I, I need to write a blog post. Oh my God, that's going to take an hour. I don't know. And I write the title, 15 minutes. Okay. You know, write the outline, 20 minutes or something like that, just so I can keep done, done, done. And that's because of recognizing like over time, just the patterns of, you know, what helps me. And same thing with like eating regular times, cleaning where I'm working before I start the next project then yeah I have to do it for me because otherwise my brain is still like so it, but the cupboard is a total mess but it's behind the door it's like I'm done with that cupboard take the next project out so all these little things that I can you know and go for a walk like when I finish the day I tell myself I finish the day I go for a walk and then I have my dinner because then it's like a break to tell my brain we're not doing more mm. tonight hopefully Man, sometimes get excited and do something else but anyway <laughs> so then i i want to point out to something that in what you were saying is also really important is this reinforcement piece you're rewarding yourself even if it's like mm. a small thing like turning a box green or like checking something off crossing something off a list that provides a reinforcement to make you want to do it and to help you complete the task and builds a sense of mastery too. Like I did it and having that sense of mastery, it's like, okay, now I'm going to do the next thing. And then it's like, Ooh, this is fun. Check, 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 check. And it's rewarding. It's really helpful. The hard thing is um, that I find is to balance the, that the short term, like tick. Yes. I did the 15 minute thing and with the more like long term goals of like, okay, I actually, you know, want to all these little things to add up to something um, so balancing those two, I find can be really hard. And it's when sometimes I get stuck into the bigger, like, I want to do this with my life and change the world and do, and then I get that paralysis of, no, I can't do anything because like, who am I and how and, and where to even begin. And, and then that's when I tell myself, go back to your list and the next action. And, and yeah, yeah. The little rewards are really helpful. Sometimes you just need to chill out and just like let yourself be yourself. Like I have a lot of inner shame about my my like inability to produce in the same ways that like my peers do. So I've done a lot of like just self-acceptance work around that. Just like I am me, I work at my own pace. I do my best work when I am working at my own pace and that's okay. And part of like helping myself fit into other institutional spaces that might have like different expectations like a university or a workplace I try to gravitate towards people who maybe also work a little bit differently I try to like build my little network of support um, of people that I can like say hey I'm like at work I'm I'm logged in but I'm like really not here and I'm sorry I'm gonna do my best like even just acknowledging it naming it you know, then other people are, are aware and those expectations can be like shifted a little bit. I find that incredibly, incredibly helpful. Um, and even in my friend groups too, like, sorry guys, I've been MIA for like months. I've just been like in a hole. I've just been overwhelmed. I've just been like, 
or in a conversation right now. I'm really not paying attention. I feel overstimulated. Sorry, I'm just gonna like walk. You guys keep talking, right? Like I'll just name it and let the people around me know what's going on internally because otherwise people don't know. And then it does seem, it does come across like you're not paying attention or it does come across like you're being lazy or it comes across as whatever when that's not the case. So I try to just be aware, name it and inform other people of what's going on with me and also like what I need. And for me, usually what I need is like more space and time. Uh, so mine comes from a working life and it really is around the um, ability to communicate. And that's sort of changed because I think we're now in a world, certainly a professional environment where we can say these things a lot more. And I think that's the case for me is that I can talk to my boss, I can talk to my bosses and sort of say, look, this is my best way of working. In fact, the organization will often say, what's our best way of treating you? What, what do we need to do to get the best out of you? And I think that's a, that's a great change. That's a business looking at it. I, I think it's important that people who expect things from me understand my best way of working. And so I have to communicate that to them. And it is a process of elimination and it can be tough at times. And I think you will often go through many organizations before you can find one that suits your needs um, and also is willing to let you work that way. But I think I found that and I think it, it's good. But yeah, I would definitely say communication. And for me personally, a big one is um, taking responsibility. I have to take responsibility for things. You know, I, I think if other people are reliant on me, I can't lay back and sort of take it easy or perceive to be taking it easy. I have to do things. And I work in an environment which is um, very pressurized, very revenue driven. And so it is important that I do do things within deadlines and timelines. And it can certainly add a bit more discipline to me. But on the other side of that, it means that when work is over, I do shut down quite a lot. And so I think it's important that equally as much as you're communicating to colleagues at work, you're communicating to friends that look, I'm just going to be shutting down this weekend. Don't, you know, if you don't hear from me, don't worry. I will be back up on Monday. One of the other things that I find really helpful is what I call do it now, which is just for little things like brushing my teeth, cleaning the cat box or taking out the trash. But I have a really difficult time doing those things on a regular basis. So sometimes I'll be in the middle of typing out something on my computer and I'll think about, oh, there's the trash. I've been trying to get myself to just do it when I think about it because it will only take a couple of minutes. And if I tell myself, oh, it's a couple of minutes, I can do it later. Chances of me still doing that within a 24 hour period are next to zero. So I've just gotten into the habit of saying, oh, you thought about it, do it now. That has helped me a lot in being a little bit more organized. It's not a huge thing, you know, it's not cleaning my messy office, but at least, you know, I don't have a trash that's overflowing in my kitchen and the cat box is relatively clean and my teeth are, you know, they're doing all right. <laughs> then the last tip uh, is I think really just to show yourself compassion. I think a lot of us with ADHD and then people with BPD have a lot of like a uh, very self-critical inner voice. And a lot of times we'll judge ourselves for things that we think other people are judging us for or things that, you know, we're just judging ourselves for. And when we are highly self-critical to ourselves, it just compounds the shame that we feel and how how badly we feel about ourselves. So really just when you have a moment, like an ADHD moment, you know, you could sit there all day and say like, why did I say that? That's like, man, I really shouldn't have said that. Or you can think about it all day and beat yourself up for it. Or you can just like accept it and, and let it go and show yourself compassion and understand like, you know, my, the way I think might be different from other people and that's okay. 
And sometimes I might say something that sounds dumb, or I might say something that's an overshare, and I wish I didn't do that. Or I might, I don't know, get really upset with someone and feel a lot of shame about it afterwards. But it's like one of the most important parts about that is to just like show yourself grace and compassion. One thing that's been really helpful has been meeting people who have ADHD and BPD. And that's how I ended up getting my ADHD diagnosis. Like even just going through the process was because I kept meeting people who told me like, Hey, I have ADHD. And then like the way they were like behaving and talking about their human and lived experience was so similar to mine. And I was like, Maybe I have that too. <laughs> um, and so back to Jess's point around the, the community and I think the power of like meeting other people and feeling suddenly understood. And yeah, that, that's, I think that's really instrumental. So if anyone's watching and has this combination of ADHD and BPD, you know, if you're able to find groups, community, friends where, you know, you, ha you find like-minded people, I think that can really help. We have a Facebook group and we just post life updates and talk about episodes so you can meet other people who have BPD and or ADHD in that group. So come hang out with us. Well, thank you everyone so much for watching. I hope that you got a nugget of info that you can take along with you on your journey. We have merch, by the way, and it, you can get it through our link on YouTube. If you go over to the shop tab, you can see our merch. We've got cool things with our logo on and a bunch of other fun things so you can show your BPD Bunch pride and support. Even just a sticker helps us out. So definitely go check it out. And we will see you next week for another amazing episode full of insights and stories. So we will see you then. Bye. Bye.